everybody, and welcome to the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. We're come rain, shine, or anything in between. We're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. I'm Ace Edwards, right alongside Connor Balthazar. And today, wow, uh, we got a we got quite a bit of recruiting news to cover, don't we? <laughs> that we do. And we have, we have a lot of really really exciting recruiting news to cover as well. This isn't your this isn't some random recruiting news where it's just some you know two star who will end up playing like a five star no we have a legitimate five star to talk about and then of course we have the Batcats and the wacky segment of the week but let's just dive straight into recruiting news starting off with men's catsketball if you're listening to this show odds are you know what happened and that is the commitment of five star combo guard David Castillo from Bartlesville, Oklahoma, and I, this was one that uh, if you if you were on the message boards, you kind of knew about a while in advance. That does not take away from the fact that it is extremely exciting that it took Tang exactly one year to get a five star and the number one player in Oklahoma and the third best combo guard and the 20th best player in the country, according to 24-7 Composite. And, hey, well, Connor, first off, what what do you have to say about David Castillo as a player? Because you are much more well-versed in the basketball realm than I. I love David Castillo's game. Truly the only downside with him physically is that he is slightly shorter than you'd like at 6'1". Uh, although that's his listed height, he's probably closer to six foot. Uh, he's still a junior in high school, so he might grow a little bit more, but we'll see. But that honestly hardly matters because he is an unbelievable shooter. Um, his release time is really, he's got a really quick trigger. He can hit uh, threes at a high rate, um, both and um, spot up uh, receiving a pass Um, But also he is really effective hitting threes off the dribble, which many people have uh, astutely pointed out that that's something we lacked Uh, this past year, Sands, uh, Marquise um, to a certain degree. Um, But David Casio, he's, I would venture to say he's an elite shooter um, as um, things stand. And on top of that, he is a combo guard. So, um, he, he's naturally a point guard. He looks the part of a point guard. Um, he's obviously not Marquise Noel. I, I think we're always going to be, <laughs> we're always going to, our era of fans is always going to be measuring, um, future point guards and their passing ability, uh, with Marquise, which is not fair at all yeah, that's not to fair. all future point happen. guards, <laughs> but that's, what's going to happen. Um, he, um, has some flashy pass potential. Um, he's got really great court vision, um, and he's able to penetrate, kick the ball out, and also space himself pretty well. Um, he's really instinctual as a player. Um, he can score at every level. Um, again, I've said he has a super quick release. Sometimes he's a little bit over-reliant on his right hand when going for a layup, but that's something that can be fixed with guys talented as him. Uh, and that's not because he won't drive to the left. It's just that he finishes with the right when he's going left sometimes, which is um, it doesn't really matter at this level because he is better than everybody. But yeah, <laughs> and, but he's a fantastic player and he's absolutely worthy of that uh, five star rating. Yeah, I and I, I basically I agree with everything that that you said and just. I'm almost, I, w- I was almost at a loss for words when it happened, and I still kind of am, because I never really bought the whole it's impossible to recruit to Manhattan thing. Like, that's, that's a narrative that I never really agreed with, whether it came from, you know, fans, whether it came from opposing fan bases. I, I never bought it. Um, but I, I think that that you may as well just call it an arson because that take is just on fire and Jerome Tang is holding the can of gasoline. It's <laughs> you get, you get a five star to Manhattan, Kansas to play basketball. And 
it only took one year. And I, this is a big part of what I think Tang is capable of. Cause I, I don't, he's obviously proven his recruiting chops even before this by landing KJ out of the portal, but, and maybe some other portal entries that we'll talk about in five to seven minutes, <laughs> but it's just insane to me how quickly he was, he and his staff, cause it's, it's obviously not all Jerome Tang. He's, he's amazing, but he can't do everything. It's a uh, Yurik Malagy. It's dream Dowling. It's Austin Carpenter. It's um, Curtis Kelly. Or um, I'm missing one that I really wanted to cover. Um, the, the one they called Jerome Yang. Uh, uh, Kevin Sutton. Yeah, and there's Kevin also Sutton. Marco. There's also Marco Bourne and Rodney Parker. Perry as well. They, I mean, if we're gonna shout out three quarters of the staff, we might yeah. cover all other bases. Anthony Winchester uh, as well. Yeah, like it, it's the entire staff that that's contributing to this, and I, it, it truly is a, a special staff. You know, you obviously have the the special first year within with an Elite Eight run. And although that run didn't end as well as I'm sure all of us wanted it to, th- this is a proof that this isn't this isn't a staff that's going to rest on their laurels. They're going to continue to accrue at a high level. And there are very few coaches that I genuinely believe when they say their goals are to win national titles. I believe that is Jerome Tang's goal. And I don't think it is as absurd a goal as some people want to say it is. He's been pretty upfront with um, his first few press conferences. He, I think was a little bit more tame on the expectations. So I think he knew he kind of had to ease us into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause at first he was like this team or this program should be making the uh, NCAA tournament, like three out of every four years or something like that. But he very quickly um ramped up to with recruits he's pitching a national title and an elite eight run i think gives you enough an elite eight run in your first season i think gives you enough legitimacy to realistically sell like hey look what we did in year one with a island of misfit toys roster that was put together to become great imagine you know what we're gonna do with guys that everybody already wants uh and guys that that our system like David Castillo does because David Castillo really comes off like a Baylor guard to me. Um, I, I, I think he's very similar uh, elite shooter from the outside, still very athletic. And then also maybe needs a bit of defensive work. So the lot of traits of Baylor guards, but David Castillo, the good and the bad. Um, but I, 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 I think you can realistically sell that national title shot at this point, especially with a lot of talent coming back, even though you're losing, Keontae Johnson. We all we always knew that we were going to. Yeah. Uh, and Technically, Noel. he hasn't announced it yet. He technically hasn't. <laughs> that really doesn't mean anything. No, that means nothing. <laughs> I mean, Keontae Johnson, he's like 24, 25. And age matters even more in the NBA at times um, in terms of getting you drafted. Uh, so... He's already on the outside looking in in that regard. He'll be drafted, but if he stayed another year, I don't think he gains anything from it. No. Other than becoming... Make us happy. <laughs> uh, yeah, other than making the Aggie Bowl Alley Cats super happy. I don't know what else he gains. Um, but David Castillo, I'm, I'm super, super stoked about that commitment. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing how the rest of the 24 class comes together because we don't see these guys. For a while, I, I I did see a bit of confusion about that. He's not uh, going to be on campus in this summer. It's he that's next summer. He's a class yeah, of twenty twenty four, so he's a year away from graduating. He is coming up on his senior year of high school. Yeah, so not not quite yet for David Castillo, but Soon. we're looking ahead. Yeah. Speaking of looking ahead, we don't have to look as far ahead for the next little bits of news, and that is the Oral Roberts transfer, Max Acemas. Yes, that is how you pronounce that name. Uh, it, According to Connor earlier, it's a German thing, and the German letter didn't transfer over. Okay. He's currently on his, as we're recording this, he's currently on his visit to Texas. However, there have been multiple projections, including a uh, was it Field of 68 or 
it was some really big podcast where they said like who's going to make a bigger tra- like bigger impact in the transfer portal x guy or max Smith to uh to k-state and everyone was like huh <laughs> what do you know so Smith is still is projected to come our way um yeah, I, I enjoy that actually because I think he's rated the number two player in the portal. I would I would like that. Obviously, things can still change, but you know, I I would enjoy if he committed. <laughs> Personally, I would as well. But I would we, allow we, it even. Yeah, I, I also would allow it. There's been a lot of conflicting um, information on Max A. Smith because there's been people that have straight out come out and said that they think he's committing to Texas or that they've heard he's committing to Texas. But we've heard the same thing um, with Max A. Smith to K-State, maybe even to a slightly higher degree. But I think some of that speaks to the volatility of recruiting uh, in the transfer portal. Um, it's much more quick. Most people are not in the portal very long. So all of the ebbs and flows that you would get with a really long drawn out high school recruiting, you're getting in a month, sometimes less uh, with portal recruiting. Um, a guy like uh, Kirk Creesa from Arizona, he entered the portal and was at West Virginia did not take very long for that. Jesse Edwards also goes to West Virginia out of Syracuse. He had a top three named in like three days and was yeah. <laughs> West Virginia committed in like 10 days. So Things ebb and flow way faster with portal recruiting. So some of the reporting probably has something to do with that. Maybe A. Smith starts out liking Texas and then kind of flows to K-State. Maybe he still hasn't picked either way. Maybe he is leaning K-State. But if he joined K-State next year, that would be absolutely massive. Um, he, he's one of the guys that you and I mentioned as uh, it was him and LJ Cryer at the time. Uh, who has since committed to Houston? That if you get one of those two guys, uh, that that does incredible things for your roster. Also, uh, I, that was a complete guess when I projected LJ Cryer to go to Houston over K State. That was a complete guess. To be fair, there were a lot of indications um, about him going to Houston, uh, but they were older. I know, and the fact that he entered the portal and stuff was coming out of us about us being interested in him was kind of interesting. Um, but he, uh, he, he was a, uh, highly sought after prospect that again, another guy didn't take very long to make his choice. So yeah. we'll be seeing him again, regardless. True. Uh, um, although hopefully it won't be too much different from how he did against this this year. He generally wasn't, I think he wasn't very good at both times mm-hmm. we faced him. So hopefully we're able to contain him yet again when he's at Houston, but yeah, Max Aismas, I, I, there's no, I, I was going to say, I can't imagine getting a, a more impressive commit in the transfer portal, but for going out the rankings, there is one. I don't know who it is, but <laughs> there is allegedly one that would be better. They're probably already committed. But yeah. uh, the next one is Tyler Perry. He His initial, I think it was top six or something, did not include K-State, but he released a new top four. I believe it was yesterday or the day before which did include us. It was us, Ole Miss, Florida State, and someone else. The someone else kind of tells you <laughs> where the, where the, <laughs> we, what we've been hearing thing. <laughs> but yeah, I, the fact that we made such a rapid comeback is very encouraging. I would say again, yeah. I don't know. Transfer portal is weird. <laughs> Yep. I think that's the one thing that we can hit home the most in this segment is that the portal is so unpredictable. Um, but Tyler Perry is another guy that would be a fantastic ad. Pretty similar to Max Aismas, not as prolific a scorer, but arguably a more efficient one. Um, Tyler Perry, he shot, I think, 41-ish percent from three last year, 44% from the field, and then about 88, 89 uh, from the free throw line. Uh, so he, he, he's a really effective shooter, very similar to honestly, David Castillo in that regard. Um, but he was at a North Texas and, uh, um, so he was, uh, on the same team, 
uh, where uh, Dream Dowling used to coach, and probably he'll bring him there from uh, Coffeeville uh, Community College. Um, but yeah, Tyler Perry, he, he would be a massive get. Um, and for the record, 44% field goal, 41% from three, 87 at the free throw line uh, is Tyler Perry uh, on 34 minutes a game. So um, a lot to really like with him. Another really fantastic scorer. So I, I hope that we're able to get one of A. Smith and Tyler Perry. Um, maybe both. If we get both, both such, I will be very, I'll be smiling. Actually, they're both good enough scorers that even though they're both a little bit um, more undersized, and I think you'd love ideally, I, I think that you take them anyways because they're both so good at scoring. And see if you can convince. It'd be tough to start both of them, I think. But see if you can get Tyler Perry to buy into like a Desi Sills type of role. Maybe that's not realistic. And if he says no, then just say okay and start him anyways because yeah. he's he's just that good. And Probably even though they're both hand. undersized, I mean, we we just played a whole season with Marquise Noel as five foot eight at point guard, and it didn't really cause that many issues. So, yeah, um, I yeah, I I don't really have an issue with playing shorter guys. I get ideally you you want to um all your players to be taller, but you do what you do with what you can get. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think that's a good place to sort of leave it off. Uh, next week's episode will actually be record. It will be coming out a day earlier because Connor and I will be attending the NFL draft in Kansas City, uh, probably taking public transport. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Taking the streetcar. We're taking the streetcar. Yeah. <laughs> there, there's an in-joke there. But <laughs> the, the next little bit is uh, football recruiting, and that is Captain Price from Call of Duty. Uh, John Price from Stillwell, Kansas. It's Blue Valley. It's another Blue Valley commit, and this one's at running back. He's a three-star, uh, .8747 on the composite 24-7, and 88 on just 24-7's in-house. Uh, he's the fourth best player in Kansas via composite third via 24-7 sports. I'm going to be completely honest with you. Uh, Connor and I sort of came to this consensus as soon as he committed. There is a non-zero chance that John Price ends up being a four-star back. And the only reason why he's a three-star right now is because he got hurt at the end of last year. Now, what makes us say that? Well, firstly, uh, fun fact about me is uh, my favorite trait in a running back is vision. I, as something falls in my kitchen, <laughs> it... For the record, I could not hear it, so... Oh, okay. Well, I just outed myself anyway. But <laughs> but my, my favorite trait in a running back is vision and the ability to find running lanes that are not immediately obvious. You know what John Price is really, really damn good at? <laughs> that... He's able to manipulate his way and finagle his way through absolute garbage running lanes to bust out like a five or six yard gain. That's so unbelievably difficult to do. So that that's my favorite trait. Connor, I know you really, really want to talk about your favorite trait with him. And a lot of that has to do with the highlight tape. So I'll, I'll let you sort of talk about that. For the record, I'm glad to hear that you love his ability to sift through the trash because I had the pressure of watching his film first and drafting the commitment tweet. And I was like, I, I know that that's your favorite trait in running back. So when I told you it, I was like, I really hope I'm right. Because <laughs> you're much better at um, that uh, at football evaluation than most. So I, I was like, I really hope that this goes well. It did. Turns out my eyes did not deceive me because he is fantastic at it. But my you, personal you can indeed use your eyes. Good job. Sometimes if I have my contacts in, yes, but otherwise, no. And then um, my favorite trait from him is probably just his athleticism slash agility. Um, the very first clip on his highlight tape is him hurdling a guy mid game. And a little later in that tape, he jukes a guy like jab step jukes a guy into just a completely different dimension like you can literally watch the turf kick up from the guy's ankles that he broke like as he's like sliding across the like field <laughs> like john price as a recruit has an unusually uh 
packed tool bag mm-hmm. of uh things that you can do. Especially for a three star. Yeah. So yeah, for a three star, he I will get on the soapbox for however long I need to that John Price is a four star prospect. Um, I think he's supremely underrated right now, despite being not even disrespected in the ratings and 88 on the 24 seven in house. That's a that makes him top three in Kansas. So that's not, that's not exactly a bad rating. That's actually quite good compared to when we first started covering the show that he would have been one of the best recruits, uh, yeah. and that class from that first year, but he, he should be one of the best in this class in terms of quality of athlete but he's so athletic. He's so agile. He's still really strong as well. He it's unusual to see a running back display as much power as he does while also being able to juke around people and uh, manipulate tacklers into bad angles, um, sifting through the trash. He has incredible vision at the offensive line and is great at finding the hole. Um, The only trade he has that is not, above average to elite is probably speed, which is average. I would say he's not a burner. He's not slow, but he's probably someone that's looking at the high four five to four, six range as term in terms of speed. But I also think the staff has display that they don't particularly care for running backs, a burner because they're not saying, Oh, we only want a guy that can break off a 60 yarder or something like that. Even Deuce isn't even a complete burner. Mm-mm. He runs and in four, the four five, five four. Yeah, which is good speed, but it's not burner speed. Burner speed for me is anything like sub four four. And he, uh, but John Price, very 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 impressive prospect that I hope he gets the respect he deserves in uh, free rankings uh, on the recruiting services upcoming. I hope he has a healthy senior season because he did deal with a bit of injury as far as I'm aware in his junior campaign. So I am hopeful that he is able to have a full and healthy senior year to display the talent level that he possesses because he, he is, he could be a monster, I think. Yeah. And I, I, uh, like I agree with you in that his, the most obvious trait that, is is not great it's not bad it's just sort of good solid is his speed the other thing is his uh catching ability his receiving ability only registered 13 catches which granted he was averaging 10 yards a catch getting 13.9 yards per catch but at the same time this is one of these cases where if you go back a year and just look at the running back who will be and just one year in front of him, that's Joe Jackson. The number one thing we said about Joe Jackson the entire time was Joe Jackson is an insane receiving back. He's like basically we, a receiver that happens it, to run the ball. Like, yeah, like we that's how good of a receiving back he is. Like I, I was speculating that he could play like he would be playing slot receiver, and I wouldn't hate if he did. And the one thing the two things that Joe Jackson are is exceptional at is his speed and his receiving ability. So in other words, this has completed the the running back room for the near future. And this year it's completed with Treshawn Ward and DJ Giddens and a little bit of Tony Frias. A uh, year after that, I imagine Ward's probably gone. You still have Giddens and Jackson. Year after that, you have Jackson and Price. So like there's a there's a very clear progression here for RB1 and 2. And every year, RB2 is going to eventually become the RB1 that is going to be immediately complemented by the back that is going to be their RB2. And I think John Price is the perfect example of that. Because, yes, I still think that though Joe Jackson is a, a better receiver, I, I I don't think he'll be a bad between-the-tackles runner. I just don't think that's necessarily going to be his game. But, again, it's a very clear and obvious progression that price can come in and be that between the tackles back the back. That's going to use his vision to manipulate backers into horrible positions. And then you don't have to outspeed someone. If you can out position someone, especially at the running back position that it's not like receiver where it's just always a one-on-one 
Like that that's why run fits are so fascinating to some people. They're not they're not my favorite thing to to chart. That that's someone else. But yeah, I I love the pickup of John Price as the fourth or fifth commit in 24. Fifth. Because it's Hawkins, Howard, Stonebreaker, Price. Who am I missing? Barnett. Barnett. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, you just forget the quarterback. Uh anyway. <laughs> yeah, uh, Barnett's an alien, so <laughs> Yeah, he athletically is I admit I underestimated Blake Barnett. I he he truly has deceptive speed. Like that's not even like a joke. Like I was completely fooled. <laughs> got you. <laughs> he did. He he got me for for reasons that we'll never know. But he he's really good. But this is about John Price. I I love John Price. He he's gonna. I don't. I haven't decided yet if he knocks off Hawkins for my favorite commit of the uh, of the class. Because uh, I love Gus Hawkins. Even though he is the highest rated guy, so it's like kind of cheating, but I still think he's underrated. But John Price is up there right now, and I absolutely love John Price. Uh, his highlight tape is a lot of fun. It's only like five minutes, Go so if it. you it's if so you decide you want you if you if you decide you want to watch a guy be significantly better than everybody around him for five minutes straight, then go watch some John Price highlights. It's it's great. So that is football recruiting. Now we have a little bit of women's basketball transfer news. And that is the brand new transfer from Louisville, Zayanna Walker. She was uh, she was from Louisville, no, born in Kansas, played in Kansas, went to Louisville for her freshman season. And she was the Gatorade player of the year in Kansas uh, in her recruiting class. So you think, well, she, she must have been pretty solid in high school. What were her stats? Uh, she averaged, you know, just under 26 points a game, eight rebounds, nearly six assists, and five steals. That's an average. Not bad. What? <laughs> like, I, this, is, and we would provide a more in-depth report if it, we're going to say it every single time we cover news like this. If it were possible for us to do so, we would certainly be doing it. But... Just looking at that high school stat line and the fact that she had ridiculous offers even in the portal, that is, that's a really massive pickup because it isn't one of those like, you know, one and done pickups either. This is a pickup that will last into a few years considering how she's probably a redshirt freshman. Uh, I think it depends on if she could get any sort of medical red shirt for this year. I'm not sure if she was hurt this year or if she just wasn't playing. Um, but she only played in five games for a total of 52 minutes. Um, I do wish the NCAA for basketball had a um, requirement or like a um, red shirt limit to where you could keep your red shirt year. It doesn't matter as much in basketball because people don't red shirt that much anyways. No. But um, she only played 52 minutes. Uh, I, I feel like there should be a minute cap for yeah. red shirting as opposed to like a game cap. Cause I, I think minutes just make more sense for basketball. Yeah. But, um, it is unfortunate. So she'll either be a sophomore or a red shirt freshman. Um, but yeah, didn't produce a ton at Louisville again. Um, that, that was a stacked team this year. Um, she was playing behind, a one of the best players in the country, Haley Van Lith. Uh, so not exactly a clear path to immediate playing time. But she's a guard, um, only scored 13 points of the season, but was 6 of 10 at uh, from the field, since the two threes, made one of them. Um, only had one turnover, and only had one assist, had 13 points, seven rebounds on very limited action. But regardless, former Kansas Gatorade Player of the Year coming back home, that's a big recruiting win. Um, and I'm, I'm really, really excited to see um, what she can do. Uh, for uh, um, for K State, um, because she uh, she has the potential to really have a fantastic career at K State if she can remain healthy and uh, reach her full potential. Yeah, and not not to turn this into a women's basketball preview episode, but we've been saying that next year's team has the the chance to be to to be special. 
And and I truly mean special. And, and, you know, the the talent on this roster, I truly, in my heart, believe that the, if it was based purely off of talent, the talent on this roster could make a national title run and even win it. Whether or not they do that is up for debate, but this should, this next year should be an insane team. And I think they still have one open scholarship spot because of it. Um, Emily Ebert graduating, Mimi Gatewood and Taylor Lauterbach both transferred out. Yeah. And then also um, Sarah Shamatsi graduated as well. Oh, yeah. Shamatsi graduated. So there are four open spots. Um, Then I believe we have two high school recruits Taryn Sides and Alexis Hess. Alexis Hess. Those are the I might be forgetting someone, but that's what I can think of right now. Um, So we might have room for one more TBD. Yeah, but that seriously, next year's women's team could be something really special, and at minimum, will be fun to watch. So I much, don't... so much talent on that team uh, because you're gonna have. Well, I'll run down the highlights right now. It's a Yoka Lee, Gabby Gregory, Serena Sundell, Eliza Mop, and the Glenn Twins. That enough is that that that's NCAA tournament talent right there alone without even factoring in um, potential role players stepping up uh, and whatnot. So I'm, I'm really, really, really excited for women's basketball next year. I, I I think you're right. I think they have a chance to be special. Yeah. I, Oh, it's, it's like when you get so deep into your like NCAA 14 rebuild that you're just like, you have 90 overall recruits every single, like in every position. So you're like, well, who do I start? <laughs> That's genuinely the problem of like, well, who do I start? Yeah. Um, Cause uh, you have to find a way to get Eliza Moppet on the floor. Um, I think, uh, I, I think that you have to start her probably. Yeah. Um, so then you're left with of course, Sundell's going to start. Gregory's going to start. One of the Glenn twins is going to have to sit on the bench to yeah. start games and be the sixth person. And, they're going to have to be the female Desi. And if I had to guess, it's probably Briley. I think you're probably right. Maybe they'll just like flip a coin before every game or something. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm not really sure, but I don't know. It, it's good to have two of them, I guess. Yeah. Can you? Okay. Last note. Can you imagine the the sheer amount of bullying that is going to occur with Ioka Lee and Eliza Moppin on the court at the same time? That's just not going to be fair at all. Because, I mean, I, I'm they're, they're two completely opposite uh, post players because I mean Yoko Lee is a back to the basket around the basket incredible finisher um, at the rim uh, and then Eliza Moppin is just freak athlete that will simply go past you because she's very because she, she's just better than you are yeah uh, being athletic and good so uh, that'll be a really interesting dynamic I think um, I'm interested to see how the um, how Jeff Mitty ends up working that out because he does have the rare good problem of having more talent than you can start. Yeah. Uh, which has been a rare sight uh, for uh, women's basketball. So I I'm, I'm very excited to see what happens. Yeah. So that is all of the recruiting news. Now we can go into the bat cats news, including the sunflower sweep of KU in Lawrence and Again, we we're not going to go as in depth game by game because you know we actually had stuff to cover this week other than this, but we'll go over the highlights. Uh, the sweep went in order of five four six one and then twenty one to eighteen. We'll talk about it in a minute. <laughs> but the first game win ends up getting credited to Ty Rule, Tyson Neighbors with the save. Uh, correction from last week: uh, sources very close to Tyson Neighbors have corrected me. He is not married. So uh, correction there. Someone misread the article. That someone was me. So <laughs> my sources are confirming the same thing for what it's worth. But yeah, so this one was a little bit of a, a comeback victory. And of course, it ended the, the winning run was scored, as we all expected it to be, uh, by a Roberto Pena squeeze bunt. Where everyone advanced. Yeah, where everyone advanced. I, I think it just surprised them because 
when I saw him square up, I thought he was taking. I thought he was doing the thing where that all of them have started doing, where if they're going to take a pitch, they're just going to pretend to bunt. No, 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 no. Roberto Pena was legitimately squeeze bunting. <laughs> yeah, I don't think they expected the guy slugging 545 to just lay a bunt down. Um, and frankly, I don't I don't blame them. No, not <laughs> at that's, all. Not, that's, that's not an irrational thing to think. So but he he's been uh, super effective um, as of late. And I he, he's been a, 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 it's been really great to watch him finally kind of come out of that slump because that slump he was in was brutal. Yeah, um, but he uh, seems to have started to emerge a little bit more. Uh, and uh, be a bit more consistent, uh, at least a certain degree. But yeah, him laying down that squeeze bunt out of absolutely nowhere, but super happy to see it. Yeah. Uh, other notable performances include Nick Goodwin's two RBI off of his home run. And outside of that, uh, Cash originally had the aesthetically appealing stat line of Four ABs, one run, one hit, one RBI, one walk, one strikeout, one left on base. That is, I don't like the fact that he left someone on base, but to complete the aesthetically completing stat line, I'll accept it. We won the game. So, yeah, yeah th- this was, there isn't a whole, whole lot to talk about. Uh, Owen Borma ends up going five and two thirds, giving up uh, four runs, seven strikeouts, walking three. So a fine adding outing doesn't quite get the quality start. Uh, Ty rule returned back to his uh, big 12 championship series form last year. Uh, He goes two and a third, no runs, one walk, two strikeouts, never really any big threats with Ty rule in this game. And if we got this Ty rule every single game, I'd be exceedingly happy that tone tells you that that that's going to come back up later. But, and then of course, Tyson neighbors comes in for the ninth inning save, getting his six on the year. He only throws nine pitches to uh, retire the side and end the hopes of KU on the first game. Anything else you want to talk about for the the first game of Sunflower showdown? Tyson almost had an immaculate inning. Yeah, I know. I was so upset about that. I was so upset that he didn't get the immaculate inning. Yeah, it was uh, the first one was the three pitch strikeout. Then it was a a four pitch ground out and then a one, a two pitch uh, uh, fly out. So he was very, very close Uh, because isn't it? It has to be three per batter like. No, immaculate uh, inning is a. this was actually the next day. The immaculate inning is three strikeouts on nine pitches. That's yeah, that's it. So he, he did finish the inning on nine pitches, but it was not an immaculate inning. Yeah, that would come on the next day or it would come very close to happening. Uh, this was another, obviously, victory in the sweep. It was a six to one victory in favor of K-State. Uh, the This one was another one where Tyson Neighbors came in with a five-run lead and... Uh, Almost had the immaculate inning. Unfortunately, the last batter decided that he wanted to be a coward and fly out instead of strike out. Uh, I I I still stand by the analogy I used in the live tweeting that putting Tyson Neighbors in the game with a five run lead is like using a nuclear bomb to kill a housefly. I don't. I especially when they only scored one run. I don't think that was entirely necessary. But also, I got to see Tyson Neighbors pitch, so that that was cool. <laughs> yeah, that's a. Always a, a fun occurrence whenever Tyson gets to pitch. Yeah, I, I think through. I think this was one of the the first time that I. It almost looked like a screwball because it broke to his hand side. I'd never seen him throw that before, and it broke way too much to be a changeup. So, I don't. He's I've never seen him do that stuff. Just no, up, that, that's a solid. He's a, he's up five. He didn't care, but this was started by Herman Fajardo. He gives another one of his better performances, uh, six innings, one earned run, five strikeouts, 100 pitches. So he gets his quality start. And then Blake Corsentino enters. He doesn't give up anything. <laughs> uh, he ends up striking out three. So And then, of course, neighbors. So all in all, really, really solid day for pitching. You could have guessed that just by looking at the box score. But 
this was also the the game that had the meme that that blew up for, with the major league clip that we posted with Kyan Lotus just absolutely decimating a ball to left center. Uh oh, that was so funny. I can't believe he said that on the air. Just <laughs> going uh oh, uh oh. Yeah, that uh oh will history, dude. Yeah, blow enough for our standards, uh, I guess, at 145 likes. <laughs> oh, this is also the game where we ended up ratioing the, the KU baseball games. That, that will be a memory that I, I, sh- I cherish forever. I'm framing it. As you should. Yeah, any other offensive standouts you want to point out, Connor? Brady Day went three for five. Um, and generally, the entire weekend was awesome. So yep. shout out Brady Day. Then Nick Goodwin, two for four, three RBI. Yeah. Pelletier, two for four. Uh, Brendan Jones, one for four. You know, it, the the big stat that, you know, to, to find something to complain about because, you know, no game is perfect. We did end up leaving 11 on base. Roberto Pena ended up leaving four just by himself. In a perfect world, I would really like to see the left on base numbers be limited to somewhere between five and eight. I think that's the the more sustainable number and eight is getting up there. I, I oh okay. I would make myself okay with anything from five to seven. And like other than that, I, I think it's it's getting a bit too high to where it's not sustainable to win that way. It didn't matter yeah. today. It didn't matter, but No yeah, but I I do think that you're right. Um but but I guess now we get to talk about the fun game. Yeah, we that get also to... wasn't fun. It was it was a mix of things. You and I went through such a roller coaster of emotions this game. Yeah, this was the twenty-one to eighteen baseball game, and God, where do you even start? I, I don't. I... I'm not really sure where to start with this, honestly. Brady went Brady Day went three for five again and drew two walks. Yeah. Uh Roberto Pena hit one of his monster one of the most monstrous home runs of yeah. the season. Unfortunately, the KSU analytics account did not tweet it out, which I'm a little upset about. I am as well. But the I, I guess we can start with the fun part, and that is in the second inning, K-State scored. 13 runs. Normal occurrence. Yeah, normal occurrence. And we were both exceedingly happy about this. And then the third inning happened. It's like, okay, uh, well, KU just responded by hitting a grand slam. Hmm. Well, that's not what you want. Not at all. Uh, so you end up going into the fourth inning. It's it's 13 to 7. Uh, the fourth inning. Oh, we come right back and respond. You know, we end up scoring four more runs in the fourth inning. Oh, okay, it's seventeen to seven, and then it's slowly like KU K State's done scoring after the eighth, and then KU just keeps adding on runs. The this was a day that neither pitching staff could really do anything at all, and part of that is just the day itself. Well, what did they say the winds were going out? The, uh, it was gusting to probably be close to 30 or 40. I'd say it was probably gusting 40. And it was pretty consistently 25 to 30. Yeah. And it so, was blowing directly out from home plate. So everything was fair game as opposed to like I told in a lot of times the winds blowing either to right field or to left field. But on this particular day, it was just anything that got up in the air stood a shot at getting out of the park. Yeah. Hey, a fly ball is a home run. So it hey, Cole Johnson ended up recording three doubles. Brendan Jones had one. Cayenne Lotus hit another missile to dead center. Uh, KC, Kalen Culpepper, ends up getting two home runs. Roberto Pena obviously gets his. And Nick Goodwin ends up getting uh, hit by a pitch twice. Kalen Culpepper can't catch a damn break. He ends up getting hit in the same injured hand. 
And there was a part of me that died inside because this is the second weekend in a row this has happened. I, he just needs a break, like cosmically, he needs a break. That he does. But hey, uh, you can talk a little bit about the the pitching performances that we've we've had here. Yeah, pretty much no one had a good day other than um, Tyson Neighbors, I guess. Uh, he went two innings, um, only allowed one unearned run, uh, three strikeouts, uh, one walk, which like for his standards, that's not a fantastic outing, I think, but it's still the best outing of the day. Uh, Colin Rothermel gave up six runs. They were all unearned, which is just yeah. an absolute shame because that oh all came God. from an error on a throw by Nick Goodwin. Normally, I would grill him for the errors. I It really was annoying at in the moment, but the wind was just so crazy that it's hard to be that mad at him. Like, plus like we came to two airs. K you committed four. So yeah. like, I'm not going to lose my mind at Nick Goodwin. Uh, a lot of the in-between pitching performances were not very great. Uh, Shea Hart has had a rough outing just to be fair that he was the worst pitcher to put out there. Cause he's a pure power pitcher. He's filling the strike zone with fastballs. That's not the guy that should be pitching on a day with like 40 mile power winds, nope. uh, catching everything because he he's just going to induce a lot of fly balls and every fly ball was getting knocked out of the park. So when we put in Kyler Haney, he did better. Uh, he went two innings, four strikeouts, only two runs, which is good for this day. And he, I, I think he was more suited to that. Ty Rule came in, had probably his wor- one of his worst, if not his worst outings on the year. Uh, just did not look himself. Uh, and then Tyson Neighbors finished off the job. But at the very least, our pitching was better than KU's. KU went through nine pitchers in this game. Uh, they were doing absolutely everything they could to not put in their main relievers. Um, but they kept kind of getting back into it. So they just ended up having to use them. But really, really rough showing for most of the KU pitching staff. Um, so it, it went well for the batters, I guess. Today was a <laughs> hitting, batters, hitting had a great day, yeah. Hitting, hitting was fantastic. I mean, the scoring summary on the box score doesn't fit onto a single page, so no. you, you know, the batters had a fantastic day, but pitching it's tough to draw a conclusion on them from that game just because that's such an outlier of a game. In all facets. Yeah, it was super annoying. And I was very annoyed at the pitching in the moment. But with the gift of hindsight and clarity, I don't know what else they could have done, honestly. Yeah. Yes, that. I'm not going to lie to you. I was sick of this game by like the sixth inning. I was tired. I I was too. This ended up being a four hour and ten minute game after two games that went about two and a half hours before it. This game was on pace to be like a five hour affair at one point. So I'm happy that the scoring slowed down a little bit and we even had the seventh inning. No one scored, uh, which was incredible. Uh, I think we even had a three up three down inning in there at one point, but I think that was the seven. I think you're right. I think that was the only one, but yeah, yeah. It, was a, it, it, it was a marathon to watch. Yeah. And, you know, coming off of the, the Sunflower sweep, it seems like whenever we have like a really big weekend, the weekday game is just kind of like this. It's just a wet fart, basically. And that's that's how I would describe the game up against Wichita State. It was. God, it was not fun. <laughs> I. I. I was at this game, went to it with a with a friend, and first off, credit to Wichita State, their bullpen is very funny. Uh, yeah, their their bullpen is a, a collection of characters that are all pretty funny. I don't think they were very big fans of me in particular, though. Um, not going to say why, but let's just say that uh, they are good at talking. So am I. So. <laughs> And it takes a real man to talk down six. <laughs> but 
only cowards talk while they're leading. Real men talk crap when they're down. But, you know, this was just not a good day it, for anything, really. I mean, the only person for K-State that I think had a genuinely good day is Cole Weisenbaker. And that's because he got exactly, oh, Kyler Haney. Kyler Haney and Cole Weisenbaker both had pretty solid days. Kyler Haney, I think, got left in too long. Uh, yeah, and he, he gave up. He gave up one home run, but it was, was like on forty third pitch. <laughs> yeah, and it was like to dead center, so like the it was just a perfectly hit ball. And I, I'm not too upset with Kyler Haney for that. Yeah, uh, and I got to hear Weisenbaker's entrance music, which is a uh, House of the Rising Sun, which is probably one of my favorite entry uh, walk up songs on the team. The animals version, by the way, not the five finger death punch cover, uh, in case you were wondering, but no one was. But <laughs> I, Nick Goodwin, Brady Day, and Kalen Culpepper each record two hits. Kalen Culpepper gets three RBI on the day, uh, including a double and a home run. Uh, Kalen Culpepper was doing his absolute darndest to carry this team to victory with an occasional assist from Roberto Pena. But yeah. just not. There's nothing about this game that went right. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I think we have to kind of talk about who started the game. I think we have to kind of talk about it. I really don't want to, but I think you're right. You want to start? <laughs> yeah. Jackson Wentworth uh, got moved to weekdays um, after just not really performing up to the um, expectation that we need for the uh, third weekend starter and he just had a just a crappy outing uh when he went three innings through 59 pitches gave up six runs all of them earned eight hits did not record a strikeout um it's clear with jackson wentworth that the command hasn't fully returned he's coming off of a tommy john surgery um and the command and control is just not entirely back yet and I think we want to keep getting him pitches because we want him to get that command back through experience. But we also need to win baseball games. And he, he's been really struggling. He's had moments of being really good um, out of the bullpen, especially. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, this was a really, really bad outing. Uh, I, I I think he gave up a home run on the first pitch of uh, his outing. So I think that yeah. that... Uh, I, I think that maybe there was a bit of a hint there that we should have taken a little earlier, but P he was on the pregame show said he wanted to get four to five innings out of Jackson Wentworth when we could only get three and just not good. The Wichita state team, they came out hitting uh, and they were very, very aggressive. Yeah. And I, I don't want to dogpile on the guy cause he's, he's had a rough season, but I really do think that probably the best role for him, at least for the foreseeable future, is probably long relief or even middle relief. I I don't want to relegate him to mop-up guy duty. I do, like, even though he's having a rough year, I I think he's too good to be mop-up guy. I really do. But I think as it stands right now, the I I think Rothermel, despite the, the subpar outing against KU, I don't... I I do put weight into those runs being unearned. Um, I think he solidified himself as the number three weekend starter. And I think our best option for weekday starter now is Mason Buss. Because Mason Buss, he gives up three and two innings. So, you know, not great. And he didn't have the best outing against Air Force. No one had a good outing against Air Force. But I, I think the best option for weekday starter is probably Mason Buss now. And Jack... Wentworth should probably be more long relief. If anything, I'd kind of flip the roles that Buss and, and Wentworth have. Yeah, I I think I'm with you on that. I, I like Wentworth for long relief, taking the Carson Seymour arc uh, from a couple of years ago. Um, I, I think that there could be some merit to that. I remember Carson Seymour having a fantastic outing in the Big 12 tournament uh, a couple of years ago um, mm-hmm. out of the pen, he gave us uh, six innings of relief, uh, scoreless relief, I believe. Don't remember the opponent, but 
Uh, he was really good in that. I could see Jackson Wentworth if he's able to regain some of his command, uh, being able to come in and like if a starter gets blown up, give us a solid three, maybe four. I I, I think Jackson Wentworth could really excel doing that and then step into being a starter next year when he'll be fully recovered because Tommy John is just such a hard injury to come back from as a pitcher. Like, so it was hard to hold it against him because I mean, Tommy John sucks. So it, it it's tough to, to really uh, dog on him for that. But at the same time, you do have to win games, especially when you're trying to fight to be on the bubble to get to the NCAA tournament, but dropping this game against Wichita state after the sweep, that's a heartbreaker because you build up all that goodwill, jump like 16 spots in the RPI uh, just to drop a whole midweek game. Uh, super tough. Yeah. And I, I think we can sort of end off our, our talk about baseball. Firstly, um, they, the next series is is against UC Irvine. That starts tomorrow at 8. Uh, I'm not sure if they have announced starters yet. Let's see if they have. The weekend starters are, yep, it's the same three. Borma, Fajardo, and Rothermel. Which, yeah, I expected that. It's in California. It's game number 40 on the year. I, yeah, I got to take two out of three there. And the reason why you got to take two out of three is because K-State was tied or was in sole possession of second place in the Big 12, a half game behind Texas. I'm not sure if that's the case anymore. But they were were making noise. And, you know, they had a solid Big 12 record, solid overall conference record. But the RPI is terrible yeah because the non-conference schedule was not good plus you drop that game to st thomas that's you know drop you pretty hard so yeah um, yeah the rpi is not where it needs to be we need to be much higher than i where we were 79 going into wichita state don't know what it is now but uh uc irvine is a top 40 rpi squad i think top 50 for sure um but they're really good so if we can take two out of three against them, that would be massive. Yeah. I, I to everyone who after that, that good stretch of games and the sweep up against KU uh, saying that this, this is a, a team that will make it to, to Omaha or that this is a regional team. I would ask you to, I, I'm not saying that, the, that it's impossible that it could I'm not saying that it can't happen. I am, however, saying that you should probably lower your expectations. And that is coming from someone who loves this team. And I'm going to be brutally honest in a way with the way only someone with love in their heart could be. Uh, uh -uh. (laughs) This is an unbelievably fun team. An unbelievably fun team who can pull off some amazing wins and have some amazing performances, but they just don't have the consistency to really be a regional team, especially with the non-conference schedule they had. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, but uh, anyway, on that happy note, uh, let's go to wacky segment of the week. And the wacky segment of the week is if you could change one thing about a current K-State athlete, what would it be? And you can't just say make them the best at their at like one at their position. So like it has to be like, for example, you can make Will Howard like six foot eight or something, something like that. All right. Um, I think I'd make Ayoko Lee be able to dunk. I'm really I'm really kind of upset that you chose that because I was going to say I wish Eliza Maupin could dunk in games. Anyway, I'll I'm change sorry. my answer. I'll, I'll change my <laughs> answer then. And I guess I'll make my answer. Uh, I wish Will Howard was like 265 just because I think it'd be hilarious to what it, it's already going to be hilarious watching uh, like a poor defensive back gets sent on a blitz to try and tackle Will Howard. Because <laughs> he's like probably up to 245, 250 at this point. That is a defensive end who can throw dimes. <laughs> yeah, he he's he's a big dude. 
So no, I'm going to be good for his uh, pocket strength. Yeah. The alternative answer was uh, making Philip Brooks run like a four one. That would be unprecedented, actually. So yeah, it would literally be unprecedented move here. <laughs> that that's a deep poll that like maybe two people who are listening to this will ever understand. <laughs> At most, two. At most. But yeah, do you do you have any uh, any final thoughts, Connor? Uh, I don't. I don't have any thoughts about anything ever. Sam, you and I have done a good job of faking it for what one in three quarters years. We have. They'll never figure it out. They'll never figure it. Oh, Oops. oh, we were still recording. Oh well. <laughs> anyway, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. If you want to follow the show or contact us, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Aggieville A Cats. That's capital A, capital A, and capital C in cats. If you want to email us, we're AggievilleAlleyCats at gmail.com. If you want to follow us on a more personal note, I am at AC Edwards 00. I'm at Connor Baltazor, capital C, capital B. And if you want to sort the show financially, please be sure to check out the official Aggieville Alley Cats merch store where you can find such designs as the staff approved Doom Tang Clan. Play Sandstorm Cowards and Neon Alley Cats. But most importantly, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. Where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. Stay safe, Alley Cats. <laughs>